0: correct you just said that you watched solaris Mm -hmm. right after watching memories uh
1: just the magnetic rose part of memories i I still have not watched the other two uh shorts because i figured you know i have i haven't seen them ever (laughs) because i just figured we wouldn't be talking about them
0: oh well then i was then i was wrong oh okay (laughs)
1: okay Okay.
0: no because i looked i looked them i i watched them all and they're sort of interesting so uh, but that's okay we can another time mm-hmm. we'll just talk about magnetic Rose then. so here's my question if you you watched solaris watched you're talking for the first time for the first time yeah oh my god yeah okay so tarkovsky's <laughs> yeah tarkovsky's solaris, solaris. Not, <laughs> have you seen the soderberg one i haven't no okay i have it i have a as is typical my feelings toward Soderbergh Solaris are not the canonical opinion, although I understand why people don't like it. Okay, I like, uh-huh. but okay. Be that as it may. Okay, you you watch Solaris right after this, so a forty five minute little little sci fi masterpiece, and then like <laughs> three hour fifteen minute something,
1: uh, two hours forty seven minutes. But it, you know they were. A few necessitated breaks that probably stretched it to around three fifteen. Yeah, the
0: Russians, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> in particular, that Russian, that
1: particular Russian, this fucking Russian.
0: Yeah, <laughs> okay, Inter- this fucking guy. Okay, that's fascinating. I. D- d- so, what did you think before we go into Meg? What did you think of Solaris?
1: That shit was crazy. <laughs> like, <what the> <laughs> <fuck>? <laughs> I. You know like I knew the premise uh but I I had somehow the ending had been completely unspoiled for me. So I I was I was unprepared for <laughs> that fucking last shot. Um wow. Yeah, no. It was it was nuts. I I still don't know exactly what I think like really quote quote happened, you know, uh, what like what is real and what is not. What's I don't want to get into all of that. my My first reaction was just kind of like bowled over by it and very impressed, very freaked out. I found it really spooky. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's one I'm gonna puzzle over for a while. But it's funny how different it is because I was thinking like, oh, well, obviously something like something about magnetic rose. Like clearly, he must have seen Solaris, you know someone someone has seen solaris someone knows the premise of solaris in this creative team so i figured oh i should i should do my due diligence it's like whoa that's i just opened up too many cans of worms on the same desk and now there's worms everywhere
0: and i don't know Uh what's going on man (laughs) it's it's a very wormy movie yeah here's my quick here's my quick hits on solaris okay the character of, and I'm sorry, I forget everyone's name, mm-hmm. but the scientist who's on Solaris that the main character goes and, and meets his, like contact,
1: um, like on the on the station, the space, yeah,
0: on the space station, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, there, yeah. there's
1: Snout the, and there's our Sartorius. Is that? <laughs> Sator- I think it's Sartorius. Yeah. <laughs> Wild names yes. in this movie.
0: <laughs> One of my favorite performances in all of cinema is that fucking guy if i'm thinking of the right guy and so the way we're gonna know is is by one of my favorite little like one-off gags in sci-fi cinema Mm -hmm. but so they're like they're going down the hallway right And he passes by a door and he says something to the effect of, yeah, I mean, everything's fucked up, but, you know, that's just how these things go. And then the door opens up and, like, a little dwarf, like, (laughs) tries to escape. And without breaking character or breaking sweat, he just picks this small person up, full throws him back through the door and closes the door as if nothing has happened. Like, when I saw that, I was like, this is... This movie is on another level
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that uh, there, There's already indications that you're in for some Wild shit, but the fact that that just happens Is not remarked upon and just kind of Like, bobs along In the river of the movie is, is Ridiculous <laughs> <It's> com- Right <laughs> Yeah, we are, You are thinking of, that's, that's Sartorius, for sure
0: That guy Is my, I, I love that Performance, mm-hmm. I love that character I love that movie, it's a great movie like good performances good premise i know stalker gets all the credit
1: stalker is a bit of a prettier movie i think it's got like more of the iconic shots you know like the room full of sand and and whatnot like
0: right it's also got the narrative like they killed themselves making it it's got the chernobyl connection mm -hmm. even though if i'm if i'm remembering correctly they did not actually shoot it In Chernobyl, it's the site of like another smaller nuclear accident. I, yeah, I'm
1: pretty sure it was not actually shot in Chernobyl, but I can check. This is a Patreon
0: bonus episode. We can, we can do, we can be a little loose.
1: Yeah, it it was shot in Estonia.
0: So, okay, there was right. So, you're probably aware. I don't know if the listeners are aware, but the story behind that movie is Tarkovsky and the main character of that film irradiated themselves while making the movie Mm -hmm. and also i believe due to the radiation almost all of the film they shot in the in the fallout zone was ruined (laughs) so there's like literally like 30 seconds of like what they shot while giving themselves terminal cancer in the movie christ yeah right yeah dark yeah yeah right
1: Reminds me of, you know, an, obviously a much more heightened version of what we were talking about in the Discordance Axis podcast. It's like, don't ruin Dave Witte's limbs for the sake of your grind <laughs> record. You know, don't, don't get cancer yeah. to make your sci-fi movie.
0: I agree. For what it's worth, I think, I don't know that they knew just how dangerous where they were shooting mm-hmm. w- was... We are really out of po- We are going right out of pocket right here at this start. This is the Human Instrumentality <laughs> Podcast. This is a bonus episode, yep. and we're here to talk about Katsuro Tomo's memories, mm-hmm. specifically the first uh, segment, Magnetic Rose because unlike ian i watched all of the three shorts we should i was maybe we
1: should have had a we, conversation before doing this clarifying exactly what the, the research load was but
0: uh whoops my bad i'm not certain which of us didn't understand the assignment
1: mm-hmm. the assignment was not clear we can just put it that way put it in passive voice and that way we're both off the hook
0: correct correct there we go that's do as the senators did before us um (laughs) mistakes were made mistakes as it turns out there are unknown knowns. uh jesus including
1: the subject of the podcast as it turns out
0: (laughs) as it turns out we spent a lot of time in this uh bonus episode that people are paying for of an anime podcast not talking about anime um Okay, so, but the reason we're bringing, you brought Stalker up, or the reason you brought Solaris up, mm. is because Solaris, like Magnetic Rose, is a people stuck on a space station and spoopy things happen moving. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, particularly visions from one's past conjured up by a mysterious location in outer space
0: mm. is mm-hmm. sort of the, yes. the
1: connection that I was drawing there.
0: Mm hmm. It's a good connection to draw. And definitely, I think. OK, not to dive too deep in, but let me let's just set the table for everybody. Mm-hmm. We're recording this near the end of us doing our second formal season of this podcast, which focuses on the career of Satoshi Kon. Mm-hmm. And Satoshi Kon wrote. The first segment of Memories, Magnetic Rose, right, that's right. And and we talked about doing doing mag, doing memories as an episode or just doing Magnetic Rose as a formal episode, and we kind of came to the conclusion, or rather, I think I sort of imposed this that because he just wrote it, it didn't really make sense to include it and not include Rio Gen Z that he storyboarded. Or, or all these various other things, or maybe some of the manga he wrote, Mm. things like, things like that. But it's, it's still like, it's a big enough deal that it seems like a good bonus episode. And so that's, that's why we're talking about Katsuhiro Otomo's memories. Right. Right.
1: Uh, I I think it also happens to have a lot of uh, overlap with, you know, especially because the last episode that we recorded prior to recording this one was the, uh, the final paranoia agent episode. And I think yeah. rewatching Magnetic Rose in light of just finishing Paranoia Agent, it's interesting being able to see the seeds of so many similar ideas, you know, a full like decade plus earlier in Cone's career. Uh, so I think that like, I, I admittedly there's there's other stuff that he was involved with that I have not seen. To your point, that falls kind of outside of what we're thinking of as like the canon of stuff that he directed and is considered to be like the kind of you know person whose neck is on the line for uh to put it one way you know
0: yeah his oeuvre quote on unquote right right
1: yeah uh and i think that this this is kind of an edge case i think you can look at it either way it's certainly i would you know i definitely would see the argument that it fits more like it would make more sense to analyze it from the perspective of otomo's work but I thought that thematically there was so much here that just feels like Cone uh, that I, I felt like we had to address it in one way or another.
0: Well, and it's totally worth watching because it, it's so. It's worth saying I've not before we did this I'd not seen Memories. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that's been perpetually like on the list, but never prioritized. Right, right, right. Okay, so from from go I think I'm gonna take like a little bit of an of a different stance. Sure. Okay. I actually, I don't think Magnetic Rose feels particularly cone-like to me. Hmm. Now, now having been steeping, now that I my tea bag has been fully immersed in hot cone water, <laughs> cone water, steaming, <laughs>
1: steaming steamin hot cone for, water.
0: Yeah, steaming hot cone water for a couple of months. I am in the Satoshi sauna. Yeah. <laughs> um, now that I've been sweating it out with paranoia agent. I kind of, I, I didn't get a really strong sense of, of Cone when watching this movie. Or at the very least, knowing where he's going to go, I would not have predicted that while watching Magnetic Rose. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, do, we, do you want me to say why that is? Or do we want to start with, like, what, what feels really, really cone conish to you? What feels very Cone-headed yeah. <laughs> to you about
1: um, it? I, so, th- the log line basically like i'm I'm assuming that if you saw that this episode was coming up in your feed that you know you're you're gonna go and watch the thing and have the same sort of like the book club experience with us so i'm I'm just gonna presume that we've all seen magnetic Rose as we go through this like sure. the central conceit is like these two astronauts exploring a space where they cannot tell the difference or are increasingly uncertain of the difference between the reality that they're moving through a hallucination and the memories either of their own or of the previous owner of the establishment, all those things kind of get muddled in a way that I think anticipates some of the blending of fantasy and reality that we see throughout Cone's work. And in particular, Heinz the basically the main character of the story um, uh-huh he sort of has this cathartic moment where he rejects running away from his bad memories of his daughter dying tragically and instead wants to live in reality, which coming, coming Mm -hmm. again and coming off of paranoia agent feels like basically a a interesting blend, both of Ikari and Tsukiko, you know?
0: Yes. Okay. That's good. Yes. I agree that those are the most cone like, Episode like not cone like episodes the most cone like elements of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting that like I, I think here's my here's here's my friction. Well, there's also some other things too, right? The, like the two main characters are are Heinz, Mr. Ketchup, right? Yeah, and Miguel, his best friend, and so his between this, really.
1: and- I I don't get the sense that <laughs> the rest of the the crew on the ship really likes Miguel very much. And I'd be interested in talking to
0: you about. Well, Miguel. okay, we'll get to that because I definitely like the, Miguel is a little bit of a sticking point for me <laughs> yeah. as as a Latino person. Although I was actually going to say between Miguel and the unnamed Latino characters in Tokyo Godfathers, shout out to to, to Satoshi Kone for at least like putting like brown people in his fucking movie, right? right. In his anime movie, that makes me happy a little bit. Yeah, and I guess when I say Heinz thinks of Miguel as his friend, at least he seems, like, emotionally invested in Miguel not dying. Yes, that is certainly true. Although maybe that's a very low bar for friendship. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think that
1: that gets closer to just basic humanity than necessarily friendship, but I I see the point you're making. Yeah.
0: I don't know. In the past two years, one wonders.
1: (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Right.
0: Okay, so given that, yes, I think those are very cone like I think my sticking point is that Cone's movies are, are often, or works, because this is more for Paranoid Agent, kind of reject an overt, first of all, an easy synopsis at all mm-hmm. of the story, an easy cat- categorization at all, and, and second of all, like an overt genre element. I, I think – and when I'm talking about that, I mean specifically Paranoid Agent, right? Because Paranoia Agent plays in this weird space between true crime and paranormal and not quite science fiction mm. and, like, dark comedy or maybe it's mostly drama. Like, he loves playing the edge case, right? Mm-hmm. Is it all in their heads – is it real, right? Like an even perfect blue, which is, I guess, the most straightforward premise of his, I think, maybe? Yeah, it's, it's the one that I feel like you could
1: uh, boil down to a much more simplified. Like you could come up with like the two sentence version of it and it would feel true to the movie. If obviously incomplete in a way that you couldn't really boil down the other ones into a single sentence. Or a single like blurb in such a new way.
0: Sure. Yes, I agree. You're, we're getting at the same Mm -hmm. thing, correct? Right. Even, even perfect blue, at least, even though it does fit into the general, like, this is a psychological thriller about a young woman who is not finding success as a pop star and begins to go crazy Mm -hmm. and maybe being stalked by a fan, right? Like, it, like, it, three sentences. You can do it in a tweet, right? You, you, it's hard to do that with the others right very tough Where, it, well,
1: you could do the tweet but you wouldn't it wouldn't be you wouldn't get all of it you'd lose a lot
0: you'd lose a lot right I that's not true of Magnetic Rose I actually think Magnetic Rose has like a very straightforward sci-fi genre premise mm-hmm. and it and it slots really neatly into a genre yeah. right it, even, not even a, not even a genre like um, an archetype In the genre right which is like i get why you why your mind went to solaris Mm -hmm. and certainly like i think cone has like a very i would be into tarkovsky energy about him he's the art movie guy right right? and tarkovsky was also one of these people that like even if he's doing like a quote-unquote science fiction film like the science fiction elements are almost never like they're almost incidental.
1: Right. It's not it's not like big S sci-fi necessarily, you know.
0: Right. Right. Whereas like Magnetic Rose is like hard sci-fi. Well at least semi hard. Like firm. Yeah,
1: it's hard within the confines of the genre, if not I don't wanna get into the like hard versus soft science fiction debate. Right. That's a bit too eggheaded even for me. Uh, for me to try and draw those lines. But it's like it's absolutely trying to be a sci-fi thing. And I I, I can tell that you're you're pointing to perhaps a different uh illusionary source material for the, the particular blend of science fiction here.
0: Well I mean specifically it's like Space Station as haunted house movie, mm-hmm. right? Which is an archetype I love. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean so probably I think my favorite movie of all time is alien. That's
1: exactly the other movie that I knew was going to get brought up.
0: <laughs> right. I and and like you can totally t- like whereas like maybe Satoshi Kon had had seen Solaris.
1: No way in hell almost, he didn't see Alien, you know.
0: Almost assuredly every single person who worked on this movie had seen Alien, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially since it was written by Katsuhiro Otomo, and one of his big influences was uh, Jean Giraud, if I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his French name right. Look, I mangled a language that wasn't (laughs) Japanese. Jean Giraud, who's better known as Mobius. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who did, who was half of the production design, like, brain trust for Alien. The other half was H.R. Giger, Mm. right? And there's, like, obviously, like, there's a lot of, like, Giger in pieces of, magnetic rose too but before we lose the trail real quick uh, just sticking on the the haunted house space station thing real quick yep. i think the other the other big example of this is probably event horizon that would have been pretty contemporaneous with this right like uh well i mean comes out two years, two later. years later
1: okay interesting yeah
0: definitely both definitely both in a in a vibe mm-hmm. r- right and i think you know i mean obviously that paul anderson <laughs> And Satoshi Kon are almost like night and day, <laughs> different kinds of of artists. Um, but I am in that camp of people that thinks Event Horizon is good actually, uh-huh. and would would really like if they could find the missing reel of film in it that will probably never be found.
1: I know that that movie has like some some cult supporters for sure. Like I've I've never seen it. I've mostly only experienced it via samples
0: on metal records. It is definitely. Yes, it is a metal record sample movie. And like in that particular like vertical, it is definitely in a class under Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. Yeah. Like I think those are like the S class. Every line could be a, a, a black metal sample mm-hmm. or a grindcore sample, right? Event Horizon is, is below yeah. that. But like it's still in that same sort of vain. And and like Magnetic Rose isn't quite so quotable. It doesn't have Sam Neill vamping. <laughs> um but it it does it there is um because it's not an alien, right? Because it's not like a creature, but because it is more of like oh our pasts are haunting us. Yeah. Oh, it's kind of got this weird gothic Victorian thing going on like embedded in the space station in that way. I really feel like Magnetic Rose echoed to resonated to me the most with event horizon, which I'm sure if like, if Satoshi Kon were alive and he heard me say that, I'm sure he would like get so mad. (laughs) I'm sure that is like not what he wants.
1: Yeah. I I have not seen, as I said, I haven't seen event horizon, but I, I get the reputation is that it's quite gory, right?
0: Super, super gory. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's one of those things like good in spite of itself. mm -hmm.
1: Magnetic Rose is a, is a bit of a classier joint, even for like even as a sci fi film, you know. Because I think, yeah, it's we've we've talked about like a more more so earlier than we than we were speaking about it necessarily in Paranoia Agent, but Cone definitely has a thing for like archetypes and tropes, and you know tragic, you know opera diva has like sordid romance with co-star feels like tropey enough that it also feels like a bit like the kind of thing that cone would be into doing and like evoking to kind of give this air of like sophistication and aristocracy and and the contrast between like these two dudes running around in space suits and them looking like they're in versailles you know like that's that's kind of like a, a it's definitely like a weird and surreal image but you're right that like Mobi pointing out to the Mobius thing that also feels you know similarly you know grand in some way the the scope of sure. things and the sort of like psychedelic clashing of of styles and whatnot sure um, but i I got alien vibes on this as well, like the opening oh, the yeah. opening chunk basically until they get to the space station and and this movie kind of blooms and reveals what it's doing or the story rather uh the opening right. section is, is it's exactly alien you know like it, it is space space uh craft as home of working stiffs negotiating overtime and you know sifting through junk so it, it has that kind right. of like a that, that proletarian cone you know marginal figures thing going on too but it is it mm-hmm. is just alien
0: <laughs> yeah it's 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 very much like oh it's an ensemble it's blue collar mm-hmm. it like the vibe is subdued passive aggressive family drama but it's like a family that is like they're a family by virtue of being stuck in a tin can in space right. not by virtue of like spawning one. yeah <laughs> <laughs> like right um family of circumstance yeah Circum yeah, correct exactly yeah and and also like to the point where like one of the great narrative tricks of alien is like when you watch it it's you're halfway to like two-thirds through the movie before you even like overtly it's overtly singled that like and by the way ripley is the protagonist yeah (laughs) right like it's you it it it, the movie does not signal that until it absolutely has Mm -hmm. to similarly like magnetic rose I feel like you don't even get that much Heinz before he's on the ship. It's it's mostly their, um I feel does he, I feel like he has like a Russian last yeah, name. Like, uh, the cap- Ivan. The captain yeah, is the Ivan
1: yeah, or Ivanovich or something like that. It's it's like an international something. cast on the the space station, which I, I like. But you know, yeah, we'll get we'll get to Miguel again um, at some point. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But you're right. Like you could see the captain being the main character for a while, and it's not until. Hines begins experiencing his own distinct memories that we realize, like, oh, this is going to be the character that the story is going to, the catharsis of the story is going to revolve around, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. And while I like Hines, I, I actually think... Okay, so let me back up for one second. The, the reputation of memories, this movie... Is, so, it's an anthology movie, right? It's three, it's three separate mm-hmm. shootings. The reputation of the film is that Magnetic Rose is the reason to watch the movie.
1: That's how it's always been uh, pitched to me, certainly.
0: On watching it now, that's actually not my thing. Ooh, interesting. No, I, I actually think it is certainly the most sophisticated one, but like uh, there's lots of super fascinating stuff in Stink Bomb, mm-hmm. um, particularly like in a post COVID world. Like, a character wakes up and everyone has choked to death <laughs> around him from a nap. And it's like, okay, like, there is people's, like, like a lot of the action revolves around people's respiratory equipment not functioning. It, it's, it, we're tangenting, right? But, like, in, in a post-COVID world, like, looking at Stink Bomb, I was like, oh, this, like, there is resonance here
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: that maybe Magnetic Rose kind of doesn't quite have and like canon fodder is own... you need to see canon fodder it's its own fucking it's like it's its own fucking thing. okay
1: but uh you you bring up the the anthology element
0: right i bring up the anthology element because like the the reputation of this film is that is that magnetic roses is, is hot to try mm-hmm. and i see why it's beautiful it's well written it's pretty cool right um, but like Heinz as the main character does kind of sort of come out of nowhere and they're like, Oh, I had I had a daughter, she's dead. Right? Like yeah. it just sort of like comes out of left field and I'm like, Oh okay. They
1: do some setting up of it early in the movie, like so the the movie kind of hinges on the fact that Heinz has not told anyone else that his daughter is dead, you know? Because Wife. there's that that moment early on where they're like cracking jokes about what a womanizer Miguel is, and uh, okay. they they say like oh like Heinz don't you have a daughter watch out and uh, it, he at this point like he knows his daughter is dead but they don't know and that's that's telling us something about like the degree to which this guy is kind of emotionally blocked up so it it mm-hmm. it makes sense that it it is sort of this like reveal but you're right that it's you know it's it's not that long of a movie it's only or of a story it's only 40 minutes and so we don't actually get that much time to get much more out of hines other than like a really simple sad that daughter dead but now overcome because living in fantasy bad is mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just it kind right. of just moves very quickly through it like there's not much there to it you know
0: right I, and, and some of that is probably because we should note that like the film is not billed as Satoshi Kon's memories mm-hmm. it's Katsuhiro Otomo's memories and while he didn't write Magnetic Rose he writes the other two stories mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell that he didn't write Magnetic Rose because the characters have more than very very flat emotional depth at least slightly mm-hmm. right he did come up with the premise yeah Right, he he came up with the premise for all the stories, right? And so I I guess you can probably sort of, I can imagine Satoshi Kon like getting the premise from his mentor and like Otomo being like, all right, bud, you're going to get screenplay credit. Do me fucking proud. Mm -hmm. And him being like, ah, God, spooky space station. (laughs) She's an opera singer? I guess opera's cool. Guy named Heinz, dead daughter? Oh, OK, like I, I, I can I can sort of see him be like, thanks, boss. And then like having the treatment at his desk, being like, well, going to be a long night drinking, thinking about this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's by it's it does kind of seem like someone gave him like the blocks of a story and he fleshed it out to the best of his degree uh, to, to, to whatever extent he could. And it's really getting by on the strengths of its imagination but not the strengths necessarily of its narrative or its character, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, when it's revealed like, Oh, the opera singer killed her fiance because he cheated. And it's like, it's, it's a single line. And it's like, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of this story. It's just like, right. Okay. So now, now, now computer evil, <laughs> you know, like it, it, just, yeah. it moves very mechanically, but the thing that is, maybe appropriately enough, draped over that machinery looks really pretty. You know, the movie is a metaphor for itself.
0: <laughs> right. And it looks, I can't underscore this enough. Folks, if you haven't watched it, it looks fucking. Oh, gorgeous. it's so
1: good. Yeah. It looks so
0: good. Like, it, it Like it, I can see why Cone worked with as many people like who worked on this movie for the rest of his career as he could. Like it look, it's, it is it looks as good as it does. Mm-hmm. yeah which is like and that is that is an accomplishment
1: so do we want to where where do we want to take this cuz there's are there other things about it that strike you as being particularly uncone
0: sure yeah i mean so one of the things that strikes me as being particularly uncone is that they re- attempt to resolve the situation with violence and it sort of works <laughs> like i i i like, that there are guns, and, like, there's a lot of, like, shooting at space ghosts with guns yeah. just seems particularly, like, like, something that Satoshi Kon is, like, absolutely disinterested in. I Like, in retrospect, thinking about Paranoia Agent, I think, like, something that didn't strike me while we were watching it, but something that, like, now, like, especially as an American, like, is really, like, striking to me is, like, I don't think the cops ever attack anybody. They no, they never, they never I, pull their guns once. They never pull their guns once, right? And that is like the most untrue detective thing about yeah. it, right? Because at, at least in True Detective, like they're like firing the machine guns at rednecks when like the story lags a little bit, <laughs> right, right? Yeah. No one ever actually tries to shoot <laughs> Shonen Bat. They, they, I guess they try to beat him with an imaginary sword,
1: right? I and mean, that's that's shown to be kind of ridiculous and not the real solution, you know. Whereas this Hines, right. both like. He he has the like, oh, I'm going to actually cry and acknowledge my daughter's death. And then I'm going to shoot this robot. (laughs) Like He gets to do both. And that doesn't usually happen in Cone stories.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 And it's and you get to the point where like, I mean, it is a sad ending, which is also sort of like uncone. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he actually seems like kind of a little averse to tragedy. Yeah.
1: Everything he does has a happy ending. Even, like even right. Perfect Blue to the point where, like, people find the ending th- music really funny in Perfect Blue, you
0: know? It, it, <laughs> it is pretty funny. funny. It is fucking funny. Yeah, I, so that's particularly uncooling like, that there is, like, an extended sequence of, like, Miguel strafing the android mm-hmm. with his, like, stupid gun. And then he tries to shoot at the computer mainframe.
1: Yeah, well, it's like, and then like the story is resolved by the giant gun from the ship itself, hilariously named Corona.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. I I needed a Corona when I was watching this movie. It's it's also like ridiculous to me that like, and this is a narrative weakness, right? But like at the end they make the point of like, first of all, why does your salvage ship have a death star? Don't and it's called the analyzer gun okay we're just using gobbledygook mm. I, fine i mean go- i love neon genesis evangelion give me gobbledygook that's fine I'll, I'll lick it up right but it's like they get this board they're like okay we're gonna use the analyzer cannon on the asteroid to blow it up and they're like our friends are in there you're gonna kill our friends and they're like if i don't we're gonna die too and then what does the laser do Blows them up to like it is yeah. it is like very quickly revealed to be like also like a dumb suicidal idea. Why? That's such an uncone thing to have happen. Yeah,
1: it's more Cohen than Cone in some ways. Just like this like dark, misanthropic yes. ending where like nothing works out for anyone and everyone right. is the cause of their own demise. Well, I guess like the only character who has a happy ending is Miguel, right? Because he's right. he's the one that's able to like live in the fantasy and presumably die in it somehow right which you know so this the, is like a more nuanced later cone work would maybe have like a bit more to say about that like why right. what is the nature
0: of this guy yeah, yeah.
1: but again the problem is the, the characters are very one note, so you know it just seems like this guy's an idiot and now he lives in fantasy world and everyone else is who knows better is dead
0: Right, and his and his one note is he's horny. (laughs) Which okay, so let's do it. I'm gonna do it. Go for it. Right, like speaking as a Latino dude i i wish kyle was here right when we started doing this podcast i did not think we'd have so many like emotional conversations about my mixed race experience with regard to Anna. Yeah. i really did not right so like the stereotype of latino people is this pedantic i'm not trying to be peda- fuck it i'm gonna just forgive me if i feel like, i'm not trying to talk down to you it's just in case you don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like the stereotype of latino and also black people although i can't i've never experienced that i don't know if i can only imagine right but like the stereotype of like latino people as being like really horny yeah is like has been used by white people to like engender fear against latino people for hundreds of fucking years if not like thousands of Mm -hmm. like it if I, I, like I am not certain what the conquistadors said about like the native peoples that they conquistadored, but I'm certain at some point in time some letter was like, "Oh my god, they love fucking." Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're like, "Fuck them, they just love fucking." Meanwhile, who's raping everybody? The conquistadors. So like it that like I like the representation of like a Latino person in an anime, but that but that like from go the joke is like, "Oh Miguel loves Bonin. Right. Right. I'm like, oh for, really? this is all you've got.
1: Yeah. It's, there's both like the element of using that kind of over sexualization as like a, a, a fear tactic, but it also has the, the double-edged sort of like, you don't have to take this person seriously because he just thinks with his Which, dick, yeah. you know, it's a way of uh making a, that character feel less like an adult and more like, you know, a child in, in the arc of the narrative. Cause he's not in control of himself in any real way. Sure.
0: You know? Sure. Yeah, and, like, and like, not to use, like, video game architecture as narrative critique, that's, like, a bad tack to take, but it is worth noting that, like, like, Heinz's, like, in-plot mission is just to babysit Miguel from not, like, walking into a trap. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, a, a, an endless series of traps.
1: And then immediately suggest that they split up once things get freaky, which is, like, again, like, that's a bit easy, Cone. Like, you could have done a bit better than that, dude. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go ahead and assume that was a tomo. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's get right. some
1: people split up so we can do some freaky stuff. Yeah.
0: Right. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, definitely style over substance. Mm-hmm. And, and it's worth noting also like Miguel's not the only Latin American character. Right? Oh yeah. Car- yeah. Carlo is like presumably Latin American or 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 a Spaniard, Spaniard maybe? Would have been, su- would have
1: been my guess, but you know. Sure.
0: Since it's opera. Right. right? Right, and and so is Eva,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the the opera singer, the in a way the titular magnetic rose. Right, and it's like this whole space station is like both her abandoned mansion and her tomb. Yes, r- yeah. right. Um, Shades of Sunset Boulevard there, which is kind of cool, right? But that's also a weird trope, like the the aging the bitter aging starlet. Although, I like. Carlo also falls into like, oh, horny Latin dude. Right. That fucked around on his wife. Mm-hmm. And now people need to die in space forever because of it. Great moral calculus there. Uh, but uh, Eva's kind of cool. And I I do like it, it. It's weird, but there is this like fun little three of five arcs arc in the film where they're doing like the backstory on Eva and Carlo. And it becomes like both like a telenovela hmm. and tmz yeah
1: it does you're right uh we're just getting the it's headlines cool. and, and all that sort of swirling by and whatnot
0: maybe more i guess here's a weird one ian do you remember like when princess Di was alive i mean shit when did she die 97 yeah, I think. Well, here we we'll, let me look it up. I didn't because I'm I'm free. am freestyling here. I,
1: I don't have any conscious memory of her being like a figure in the world uh, until I knew she was dead.
0: But I right. also died. End of August ninety seven. Okay, you're you are correct. You know more about Princess Die than you thought.
1: Fair enough. I just sort of like know vaguely about pop music, so I was trying to remember when. Candle in the Wind went to number one in the 90s, and that uh mm. that was helpful. <laughs>
0: mm. And I'm trying to remember that one Oliver song that's about Princess Diana, but also about Greek mythology. Sure.
1: Can't stop Oliver from being over I guess.
0: I, <laughs> nor should you.
1: I, to, nor yeah.
0: should you. I bet Satoshi Khan would have liked Oliver. Yeah. Anyway, I, I bet someone in Oliver's seen a Satoshi Khan film. Anyway, my mom was like a Princess Diehead, mm-hmm. and I remember like and this is going to be probably hard for a lot of listeners to remember, but, like, before 24-Hour News, bef- like, before TMZ, before, like, I don't know, Bravo, like, Princess Die was sort of my first memory of, like, there being, like, a celebrity media, paparazzi mm. culture industry around a person, and my mom was pretty bought into right. it. And this is vague, but I, d- I did remember, like, when they in the sequence in this movie where they're pulling up like all the video clips of uh Eva yeah. I got I I got like really distinct vibes of like the the news reports my mom would watch about Princess Di's life with the royal family.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh man, I mean it kind of fits. Again, it it's only a slight sliver of something that I feel like cone gets into more later but it's like the public figure thing you know figure of public adoration and the sort of narrative of fame is something that he gets into much more obviously in like perfect blue and millennium actress but i think that that part of it like the the weirdness of a public figure and the sort of construction of a of of a public persona is is you know again it's it's in here and i think i i bet he would have a lot of interesting stuff to say about the princess die phenomenon you know
0: yeah i w- if he was alive and i could interview him i'd be like were you like tapped into the princess die mm-hmm. thing is that like in mag I, like i would ask him that i think that's really interesting yeah
1: because i think that there's something there also just in like the way that a person can kind of become a meme and you know the way that like public figures are you know become archetypes that we we play around with and impose our own ideas on again I'm i'm reading a lot of paranoia agent backwards here and i'm looking to find
0: i yes. overly
1: rich connections perhaps but i i think that I'm, I'm trying to tie the knot
0: together you know it's gonna be hard but like i give you that i give you that loop of that knot i think that's true and maybe that is i, I think maybe that middle section to me felt the most con mm-hmm. it's it, i mean it's we've talked we've talked in the past think about how con was in a way like hollywood minded i think yeah And, like, one of the things about Hollywood is, like, they love movies about movies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Khan likes media stories about media stories.
1: Yes. Yeah, stories about stories, stories that are about storytelling and performance in some way.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And and pop cultural figures. Mm -hmm. Like, as as much as he sort of, like, seemed like the kind of guy who, like, didn't think highly of popular culture. He still was, like,
1: he... Made that clear by focusing on it a lot, you know we, we know that he felt that way because he he wrote about it frequently
0: you know right, and like in Eva, I do see, I guess, a very rough template for like how do we talk about Mima mm-hmm. how do we talk how where does millennium actress come from yeah. where Where does this idea of of these mimetic figures that that reappear in Paranoia Agent come from and and in her weird sort of like Siren'y nature i think maybe a little bit of what's going to happen in paprika
1: ah uh, interesting uh, did you did you rewatch paprika this week or
0: not this so i'm going to do my paprika rewatch coming. Uh-huh. so i'm i'm pulling on old thoughts yeah. right but as i recall like paprika the character does does have this sort of like storytelling function of like leading the other characters down the rabbit hole as it were in a sense
1: yeah yeah there's the sort of like dream psychologist thing which involves a certain kind of like plumbing of
0: the subconscious and whatnot
1: Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. whereas
0: in in a sci-fi in in a in under a sci-fi glass right this
1: is this feels much more like sirens in the, the the almost like greek sense you know of like dragging like Yes, uh, uh, fishermen and sailors what, to yeah. their doom that that is the the sort of the archetype that's getting updated for a sci-fi setting here which is cool uh it's interesting that it does it, it it is able to feel like it is touching on a lot of classic archetypes and building on a lot of stuff and still feel recognizably kind of like its own unique short story just because of like what different pieces it's cobbled together But it does feel the most of anything that Cone has worked on that we've talked about, like a bunch of different pieces of other art cobbled together.
0: Although I I will say like this, I could see, I could have seen, you know, in a pre-Marvel world, I could have seen someone like just making, remaking this movie. Not that people should. Right. I'm not suggesting. But like it, the straightforwardness of it and the genre of it does really kind of make some of the the cone stuff in it go down a little easier. It's it really is like a very entertaining little film.
1: Yeah, I I was thinking a lot both, you know, the first time I watched it after it ended, I was like, that's like every single A24 movie, you know, but in, in 40 minutes instead of, you know, 120. Like you can yes. see a version of this movie that is pumped out where you get like more of Heinz back on earth. You get maybe a bit more of the interactions of the different characters, maybe a bit more Miguel. So that his ultimate fate feels a bit more, uh, you know, has a bit more to it. But like the, all of the beats of in this 40 minute are of the same kind of beats that you'd expect in a normal feature length, American artsy sci-fi film. And it all coming down to like, getting over your dead kid that that's sort of like you know as uh, genre genre movie genre story as therapy session thing like uh at, like working over a single origin like trauma that is origin of all problems once you get over that then the story ends kind of thing like sure it, it feels like it anticipates the the basic style of like I don't even know what to call it, like not mainstream filmmaking, but like mainstream non-franchise filmmaking in America these days. I- expensive indie, yeah, expensive uh, premium indie material, yeah,
0: right. It's it sort of it's we're we're going very far afield now, um. But like what you're talking about is like this weird like Goldilocks zone of of filmmaking. Um, I remember specifically. Kiefer Sutherland doing an interview with, I don't know if it was Fresh Air or if it was Mark Marin. No, I tell a lie. It's Kiefer Sutherland when he was on Top Gear mm-hmm. in the Star in the Celebrity Car okay. race. He did. And they, they do like a little interview about the person's career before they, he hops in the car, right? But he made this point about like, why did he, why did he do the twenty four? Right. Right. This TV series. Right. And he makes this point where he's like when he became an actor following in his father's footsteps, he wanted to do. Thirty million dollar movies, where it's just enough money that that like it can have like an interesting escapist premise that like a, a mass audience will buy into, mm-hmm. but it's just cheap enough that you can't sell it on spectacle, so you need to sell it on the story and the acting, right. Yeah. right? And like he he sort of makes this point where he was like, that's what he wants to do, and that's what all the actors he knows want to do, and it's exactly what like Hollywood is no longer willing to do and like what what you're describing is like a24 has found the way to keep that going and the way that they do is they're like we will make 30 million dollar movies and every one of them will be sold as a horror film
1: (laughs) right yeah 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 (laughs) and we'll have people you know be like well it, it seems like it's a horror movie but it's actually about blank you know like the babadook is actually about you know grief it's like everything is actually about grief <laughs> like Seek secretly right. is like the the key to so many of these movies and this movie feels like it does that you know beat for beat
0: two decades in advance that's 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 true but at the same time it's sort of like okay so my counter to that 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 thinking and i love a 24 movies i love a lot of them not all of them some of them i think are kind of bad but like hereditary is one of my favorite Movies I've seen in the past like 10 years, mm-hmm. I think. I, I love that film, right? And I'm a, I'm a horror movie fan, right? But I think, like, while that movie is like about grief and about trauma and like about this like tour de force character performance, you know, by the main character, it also like succeeds as a spooky demon movie, yeah. right? And I think if you talk to William Friedkin about The Exorcist, I'm sure he'd tell you. Well, yeah, of course, The Exorcist is not, like, about demons. Right. Right? Like, it's about Catholic guilt and, like, feminine liberation Mm -hmm. and, like, the social tension of the 70s, right? He's like, that is what it's about. But he, like, felt the need when he was making it to make it succeed as a spooky demon movie awesome, Right? And I I worry that we've kind of, like, lost that in a sense. I am really going out of pocket. Let me bring it back. We're, like, the cool thing about Magnetic Rose is it also does, and I think this is the Otomo, not the con, it does just kind of fucking succeed as a spooky sci-fi movie. Yeah. Like, it's a yeah. it's a good spooky statue androids gone kill you flick, too. Right, yeah. I mean, those the, the
1: flying angel statues with lasers coming out of their eyes is, like, I feel like the kind of thing that Cone would do as a joke in Paranoia Agent, but it feels right. like played pretty straight in this. Yeah, like... I right. think the the specific weirdness of like this out of time place and out of place location in the middle of space is legitimately unnerving and freaky and the danger mm-hmm. does feel real even though I think that there's there's some you know it it jumps to conclusions in certain ways like there's it's never quite explained how it's able to read heinz's memories for example like why is it able to conjure up his dead kid when it is a a a, a palace programmed mainly to recreate the memories of someone else who's no longer alive <laughs> you know
0: right how, how does an opera singer afford a mysterious s- space well she, she, she comes from like a, like a
1: really rich family is what's told and she is a superstar so we just have to kind of that i that i'm happy to go with as it's like rich people in space you know it's it's a uh, it's the stray light run you know it's it's all that kind of stuff <laughs> The stray
0: light okay fair n- fair enough then how's this okay is it so and this is like one of those weird little like turning points this is one of those things that isn't closely defined right but it, it, it it's also like um i think it leans a little bit into annoying anime trip for me but like his daughter he's holding like the fake daughter and she disappears mm. and then we're sort of led to believe that like this little glowing light that illuminates the supercomputer's location is, like, her, her ghost, maybe? Or her... So, like, yeah. it's weird because the movie goes to... He goes to great pains to be like, this is not supernatural. It's a computer, yeah. right? And then there is this little, like, deus ex machina supernatural moment. And I kind of don't love that.
1: It feels, it feels quick and uh, not fleshed out and even if the the movie attempts to avoid the supernatural it's like well where did miguel go then you know like when he right, when he walks this sort of into the, the memory door and like disappears like well it, we know these are not real we know they're holograms and hallucinations like where did he go <laughs> in, in the right. ship? <laughs> but you know it 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 almost it it stops close of going Uh, full magical realism, full, like, magical sci-fi. And I think the type of movie that I would love if this was ever blown out into feature-length size is one that goes much further in that direction uh, and sort of gets you questioning what's real and what's not in the Solaris way, for example. But it stays pretty close to just being more of a, uh, you know, again, spooky haunted house more than anything else.
0: Yeah, yeah what you're describing is like i i do wish people would aspire to to that mm-hmm. and it, a good version of that is solaris or a good version of that is evangelion yeah. like that's sort of the hit i'm always chasing yeah. right is like succeed as genre movie and also ask big big human nature question yes. successfully mm-hmm. right but the bad version of that is interstellar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And this movie's a lot like interstellar too. Yeah. And again, like the whole, like, you know, tough guy with dead woman for in past, it's, it's very Nolan as well. You know, it's, it's hard to, Mm -hmm. to not think of that kind of model of, you know, masculine sci-fi energy that we, we have in, in modern filmmaking these days. Yeah. it, It does just kind of feel like interstellar at, at that point but without interstellar's like commitment to its corny message by the end at least like i agree that i don't i don't particularly like interstellar uh but it does go all out on the thing that it's trying to be it's just that i I find that thing a bit i don't know man like the power of love is uh a bit easy (laughs) a bit easy to just like slap on Uh, it's it feels indistinct and uh you know, not it, not that interesting. I me. guess
0: if you were going to put a middle ground and maybe this is just in my head because I've seen the trailer for the sequel recently, but I guess the middle ground is probably Avatar, a movie, I, a movie I don't love, but does land at something a little more actionable than like the power of love defeats science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what it lands at is mm, kill Whitey. Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: The power of bullets helps too, <laughs>
0: right? He's like, love, love, good. But what if violence does solve problem? Which is very—that is a very James Cameron sentiment. <laughs>
1: um, so but maybe since we're—I we're, don't know how much more there is to pick off the bones of this thing.
0: There was not that much here, which is I think also like maybe part of the reason why I was a little hesitant to slot it in. Yeah. To to like the main series, like I'm happy to talk about it. Happy to have a reason to rewatch it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good. Like I give, I give memories a thumbs up in general. I give magnetic Rose also. I actually give all three segments a thumbs up, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Is, is it, is it perfect blue? No, no. Uh,
1: A few looks better. uh, Yeah. A a few things I'd like to, to maybe mention before we uh, stitch this one up. Uh, First of all, a lot needs to be said about how effective this movie is because of how cute the goddamn kid is like yeah. they really go all out on making that daughter adorable so that you feel fucking awful when she dies right uh and it does work on me like there was a moment where i was rewatching watching at this moment and the kid shows up for the first time and i paused and i was like do i really want to watch this again
0: <laughs> like... oh my god i know <laughs> Well, and it, for what it's worth, I like. I wondered if it was just me because, as keen listeners probably know, mm-hmm. my partner's name is Emily.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The little daughter's name is Emily, and so like I see bad things happen to an Emily, and I, it just kind of gets me. Yeah, and that's not intentional. That's just like by by virtue of my life. Although I did like mention that to Emily, and she's like, "A oh, little girl named Emily? Does she fucking die?" And I'm like, "Yeah," and she's like. Emily always dies in a movie. She's like every story where there's an Emily is like Emily dies.
1: Uh, this is this is not something that I was aware of, but I feel like I'm gonna keep my eyes out for it going forward.
0: I, you know, once she said it, I started thinking, and I was like, "Yeah, I guess you, it's that or Emily Dickinson." Right. So yeah, I guess I guess you're. She was very unimpressed by that Emily, the little girl dies. Mm-hmm. She was also when she did walk past me watching the movie. And and watched a little bit of it with me. She was likewise unimpressed and she's like, Oh, so it's interstellar. <laughs> dad in space. Yeah. <laughs> dad okay. dad is sad in space. Sad space, dad. <laughs> and and sort of she sort of like walked into the bedroom after that. She was like, Okay, this is all you. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think maybe that is that is where I land on it is like, while it's beautiful and I love it. and It's super fascinating. Maybe that's why Magnetic Rose of the Three is actually my least favorite mm-hmm. is because it, it does sort of have that like, ah, uh, ghost story in space. Right. Got it. Ah, uh, Emily, Emily, dad, sad dad. Got it. Uh, it's all the execution, not the not the, uh, the components. Right. Mm-hmm. The individual components of the story are actually a little uh, rote.
1: Maybe. Yeah. 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 It's, it's all parts that you've seen before somewhere right um, but one uh one thing you may have heard before and one person that you probably will have heard at, for their work after this project is that the yoko kano did the music for this right
0: and that is yeah that's a big deal That's <laughs> a huge fucking deal and the understandably since it's yoko kano the music fucks the music is like great.
1: yeah for,
0: for being a movie about opera and obviously the opera is good
1: yeah it, it's leaning on puccini which certainly helps uh, specifically Madam Butterfly's, like the SOS sequence and, and whatnot. Um, but all of the original music is fantastic. It's like this really great, like almost like Blade Runner, slow, smoothed out, lonesome saxophone in space kind of vibe uh, mm-hmm. that's just like really gorgeous and, and fits. Like, again, it's like, oh, uh, I, I know this sound. I know what I'm looking at. I know all these pieces. But when you put them together, it does feel real good.
0: She's really, we haven't spent a lot of time in the, in our podcast talking about Yoko Kano, but uh, hasn't,
1: in, hasn't had too much occasion to come up yet, but obviously like no. one of the goats when it comes to yeah.
0: music
1: uh, for anime,
0: I'm, I'm speaking now as I'm thinking about it, but I'm like in a weird way, I think Yoko Kano, if you're talking about people in, in the anime industry or in the oeuvre that have had a big impact on American pop culture. Mm hmm. I think weirdly enough, it's Miyazaki or Yoko Kano. <laughs> um, and a lot of that's the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack, yeah. which is like has its own life independent of the show. Mm-hmm. R- right? Right. But like all, all of her soundtracks are great. It's, it, it's weird to me that like I, I think of her as like maybe one of the best living composers of, of like entertainment music.: Sure, of like, of, like, of like cinema music. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, why not? like fuck it i mean on
1: on the strength of cowboy bebop alone that's like a you know an all-timer so uh, I, yeah. I don't feel like that's a, a that wild of a statement all things considered yeah no it's it's a really cool thing again it sort of feels like there's there's a lot of star power behind this thing uh, and a lot of people clearly doing a lot of really great work um even if the thing itself is is you know made up of somewhat rote material the the amount of talent and time and effort to bring it to life really does make it worth watching, period.
0: Yeah. And, and just, like, just like Akira, you know, a, a lot of the people involved went on to do a lot of, the, a lot of great stuff. Not just Yoko Kano, mm-hmm. who does, I believe... Okay, so now, now that I'm wondering, is this before or after Escaflowne?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. I, I want to say probably before...
0: Yes. So she'll she's gonna do Escaflone after this. Mm-hmm. And then after that she does Cowboy Bebop. Right? Gotcha. And then after that she she does a few things, but she's also gonna do Wolf's Rain.
1: Mm. I don't, I'm not familiar with Wolf's Rain. Oh, did we talk about Wolf's Rain? We didn't we? That came up at some point, right?
0: <laughs> I think it I think it comes up at some point. One of the directors of one of the other shorts will go uh-huh. on to do Wolfs Rain. Uh the director of, I believe, Stink Bomb, right? Because Because Otomo does cannon fodder all by himself. The director of, right. Okay, so the director of the second uh, film of Stink Bomb is Tensai Okamura, if I'm correctly. Koji Morimoto directs Magnetic Rose, not Satoshi Kon, right? Right. The director of Stink Bomb is Tensai Okamura, who worked on Evangelion basically months before this Uh as an episode director and key animator. He's going to go on to do Wolf's Reign with Yoko Kano, and Wolf's Reign is executive produced by uh, the Cowboy Bebop guy, Shinichiro Watanabe,
1: I want to say. I'm not seeing Watanabe's name on Wolf's Reign, but perhaps this, this is Wikipedia's fault. And, uh, and no, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. Maybe, right it
0: just, maybe it is just Yoko Kano. No, you're right because he does. You're right; he does Samurai Champloo. So I, I do say a lie. I apologize. Anyway, so huge, another talent incubator project. Yeah, yeah. Right, a who's who of people who do cool fucking shit. Although, like, the more the more I like follow the like links of whose career does what on what project. Again, the more I realize, like, the entire animation industry is the same thirty people.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just getting moved around. Right. Um, but again, it's it's cool to see all the various ways that those people kind of bounce off of each other as they move through the industry. And I think this is this is a good example of like, oh, where where else are you going to see like a, a you know, 40-minute sci-fi film written by Satoshi Kon with music from Yoko Kano and like an original story from Otomo. Like that rules. Like it kicks ass. Right. It it
0: it, it truly truly does. And it's made me want to watch some of Otomo's other anthology movies mm-hmm. right I think we should probably do a mainline episode on Akira um, yeah. but Otomo doesn't really have he's got a weird fucking career he only has like one other animated narrative film from start to back after Akira hmm. and that's Steam Boy mm-hmm. which I've never seen no, no I haven't seen that one either i have I've heard it's Okay I, I think it I think it looks really good. He works on Metropolis, right, but Rintaro directs it, yeah, right. and then beyond that, it's mostly anthology shit. What do you think of anthologies as like a, a form, like anthology
1: movies and stuff like that?
0: I'm in general not a fan. are you?
1: I mean, there are just so few examples of them that you know, I remember like I saw this movie what is it called, like, Wild Tales, I think it
0: was. Oh, my God. I am, okay, that, we're, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm like, my little puppy dog tail is <laughs> wagging. Um, that movie fucking whips. <laughs> like <laughs> That that movie's amazing. Uh, that movie's so good.
1: And it, I remember afterwards walking out of it being like, why why are people not making movies like that? Like that, that that kicked so much ass, like all of these, you know, short stories basically tied together by a theme and they are super quick and get to the point and they're out and they're all like right. great for different reasons and it's like shit. More right. People should do that. <laughs> like that ruled. And but no, I think like most when people think of like anthology movies in, in these days in America, they think like, I don't know, like VHS or something.
0: sure sure and like i've seen every vhs movie i i I, like am in general like sort of pro vhs Mm -hmm. as a series but again it's like it's more interesting as an incubator and like the thing about anthologies is like usually so like wild tales i think this one writer director for all of them again i'm not i didn't research this, but now I just want to rewatch wild Tales. Yeah, but man, like, it, I, I, <laughs> so good. Um, but I think that's one unified vision by one person. Yeah. Whereas like often anthology movies are like a mix of talent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so you get really uneven results. So like, I do not like the Steven Spielberg produced twilight zone movie. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Right. But I, fucking love the frank miller segment in it where he does the the there's a man on a wing he does the goblin Uh, on a wing uh
1: and like frank miller style it is
0: it uh it's not it's not frank miller it's um who he does mad max uh
1: the other miller george miller george miller All, all killer no filler george miller
0: all killer no exactly and i misspoke when i say frank miller's because we're talking about animation george miller that does the it's amazing that sounds much better than frank miller one to be honest it's it's way better than the original Uh it is it is bonkers yeah it's so good and in that same movie joe dante does um the psychic kid Mm -hmm. in the house Mm -hmm. and it's it's fucking great so like i don't like that anthology film but i've got it on dvd and i'll just watch the george miller and and joe dante mm-hmm. segments and then nothing else because like the first one's fucking motherfucking animal house guy he sucks uh, his kids the, the sucks. Landis, uh, landis yeah it's awful and it's it's bad like so i I think that's just like the the roll of the dice you get with anthology movies,
1: right? Yeah, H I mean, S
0: is the same way. Like some of them are really good, and some of them are garbage.
1: Yeah, and to to make it worthwhile for the audience, you have to be intre- you have to be in like interested in having an uneven experience from the get go, uh, sure. which is a tough thing. For, like most people are not going to do that, and it makes sense that it's something that you would get into like you'd have to be a fan of the genre and have an interest in seeing like, you know, getting in on some good draft picks for like, who's going to go oh, on yeah. to do better things, you know, like draft picks. It's like listening to like a compilation record and and you know, or like a mixtape and being like, Oh, can't wait till this person's album drops. You know, even if like not all the songs are necessarily good or something, mm-hmm. you know
0: what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally do. And, and I, you find, good, you find good stuff th- that way. I, I guess I would say, you know, Memories does not get the, like, I, I can't give it, like, a recommendation with a cavalcade of fireworks behind it the way I can Wild Tales.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wild, Wild Tales is, is a whole experience, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: But this is at least one where I think all three shorts are good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd want to like revisit on a future episode. So let me let me just say like, Canon fodder is so fucking weird. It is like it is done in a in Nototomo's Tomo's normal style. Uh-huh. It is like a fascist propaganda film, but it's like anti-fascist. It's like it's very unnerving. Mm-hmm. It's very weird, and it's a like this isn't like a true thing in like animation, but like it's a wonder. That's
1: the thing I've read about it is, is it's meant to like emulate a single continuous take, which, you know, it's animation. So go for it. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't totally succeed. But like, I can see why Otomo didn't do another animated thing for a long time after this, mm. after after doing that. Because he's like I like changed my style up completely and did like a fucking wonder. like what what else do I need to do?
1: Right. It, it, it seems like he's not precious about like one going back to the well or anything. And it just seems like someone who's like interested in pushing themselves and trying weird shit and doesn't necessarily need to be making stuff all the time. If it's not like exciting
0: for them. Sure. You know, you know, I mean, I know the type. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he also, he did Akira. Like if
1: you do Akira, you can chill.
0: (laughs) He's, he's like, I I wish Francis Ford Coppola after doing the Godfather Two, had just sort of said, you know what? Good. (laughs) Like I uh, like Apocalypse Now, isn't Apocalypse Now before Godfather? Too? That's a good question. I feel like we're
1: we're really jumping around all over the fr- oh, place. It's Patreon yeah. bonus, yeah. we're
0: bonus episode. Okay, yeah, right. Okay, no, you're right. Apocalypse Now is directly after, so uh, it's Godfather Part Three afterward. So, mm-hmm. yes, okay. He does the Godfather conversation no one cares about is the great gatsby godfather part two apocalypse now i oh and he did Patton before that
1: uh i like bram stoker's dracula
0: (laughs) too i also like (laughs) bram stoker's dracula but like other than that i can't think of something i i really want him to do Mm -hmm. after that run yeah right
1: yeah yeah the story is like the 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 canon is now is complete by that time you know right it's like stuff that's for the freaks only from that point on Mm -hmm. Um,
0: he's he's done a body of work
1: yeah and to, to be fair that this, this is a, for the freaks only podcast episode. So if you're, you know, if you're, you know, I, I don't know what kind of strained point I'm trying to make here. It was just to say like, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you like the Rainmaker a lot or something. I don't know. <laughs> Patreon people. I, I I don't quite, you know, I'm talking to an audience that I don't know yet. So <laughs> Uh, right in,
0: okay. let us know. What are your what are your for freaks only picks for Coppola films? Yeah. Say that to the two hosts of the anime podcast. <laughs> and tell us what you think of memories. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I'm I that I one have back on track. <laughs> well, I'm trying. I'm trying. It you know, it it did make me want to see those other Otomo anthology films mm-hmm. and in general it it got me thinking that um i'd like to see some of the other work that these two directors did the guy who did stink bomb went on to do darker than black which is one of those things that's also been on the two watch list for a long time but i've never done Mm -hmm. and so maybe i'll pick that back up maybe maybe i'll maybe i'll revisit that word uh that part of the list
1: yeah i mean there's tons of other stuff that we we need to to touch on there's other you know stuff that we could use for episode fodder for this patreon um and you know if you've got recommendations of other anthologies that might be a good thing for us to draw on yeah i don't know I, th- this is a cool thing i'm glad that we talked about it because i feel like it's cone enough but and, and i think like if you watch this you know short with the rest of his body of work in mind I, I'm i'm sure that it sparked a few connections so if you if you find other stuff in here that feels like relevant to the rest of the the season um feel free to point it out i'd love to hear what people think about this
0: mm-hmm. if you've ever been trapped inside the memory bank of a computer by a strange sensual woman right yeah in space yeah please let us let know. us know too yeah that's yep. uh,
1: that's that's good useful like, is it you know is it a good representation of uh the victims of of space sirens um,
0: to be clear we will not help you
1: no there's not really no. much we can do uh nope but you're fucked. I mean, it sounds like if you're subscribing to our Patreon, that you're you're in a decent enough place. You've got some money to throw around. Um,
0: yeah, <laughs> I'm right. impressed that we managed to do this for longer than the segment was.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, clearly uh, some loosey goosey uh, rambling convos, but uh, yeah, that's that's magnetic rose. It's cool. I like it.
0: Yeah. There we go. All right. Glad we didn't put this in the main, in the mainstream. of combat.
1: Yeah. It, it would not have made sense, especially coming like between Jojo's and uh perfect blue. It's like, let's just fucking get to perfect blue. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, like
0: beating around the bush yeah. here. Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway. Um, anyway. All right. Well now the bush itself has been beaten. So that, uh, that does it for this episode. Talk to you later. <laughs>